Great song, Church Arise. Wow. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today that we belong to that church, the Church of Jesus Christ. Lord, you've got the members of that church all around the world today. It's a big church. It's a mighty church. And Lord, where it's failed you and where it's not doing as good as you would want it to do, help us to rise up, Lord. Help us to be that church. Help Faith Fellowship to take its rightful place in that body, to do all we can, Lord God, to bring glory and honor to you. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Recently, I noticed a uh, holiday listed on my calendar, and I didn't know much about it. Yesterday, May 19th, and it wasn't Harry and Meghan Day, but it was Armed Forces Day. Anybody ever hear of that holiday, Armed Forces Day? It's uh, one that we just don't hear a lot about. So I, I looked it up and found out that on Armed Forces Day, Americans recognize and honor all branches of the armed forces. So in light of that fact, I wanted to read the following about a Marine named Leroy Imes. And Leroy served in World War II in the South Pacific. He writes this, Shortly after we hit the beach, our armored amphibious tank took two artillery shells broadside. We immediately evacuated our disabled vehicle and darted from one shell crater to another, moving toward the enemy airstrip we were to take. The sergeant began to check on us to make sure we were okay. He crawled over to me and asked, You all right? I answered, Yeah, I'm okay, Sarge. He looked at me and asked, Where's your helmet? I felt the top of my head and answered, It must be in the tank, Sarge. Where's your duty belt with your ammo, your canteen, and your bayonet? Must be in the tank, Sarge. As a matter of fact, where's your rifle limes? He looked at me with disgust and pity. Because of our hasty departure from the amphibious tank, I was dressed about the same way I would be dressed for a game of beach volleyball. Now, I believe this story reveals the overlooked truth about many Christians in 2018. They have forgotten that the Christian life is not a playground, but a battlefield. And as a result, they are ill-equipped for the battle. The Apostle Paul could be considered the Sarge of the early church, and he wrote this. I want you to read it with me, please. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here Paul tells us who the enemy was in the first century. And by the way, he's the same enemy here in the 21st century. In 2009, the ABC program Nightline sponsored a debate on the topic, Does Satan Exist? Now, New Age author Deepak Chopra asserted this. He said, healthy people do not have any need for Satan. That sentence from Chopra 
more or less expresses the modern point of view. Science and psychology have relegated Satan to the pages of ancient mythology. See, Satan's greatest triumph may be in getting people not to take him seriously. If people don't believe you exist, guess what? They're not going to try to resist you. They're not going to try to stop you in their life. That may be one cause of the problems in God's church today. We fail to take Satan seriously. And as a result, we are ignorant of his strategy and his power. Most of our failure can be traced to a foolish, and I want to underline emphatically foolish, self-confidence that overestimates our own abilities and underestimates the power of our spiritual enemies. The devil first appears in the Bible through the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible. He last appears in Revelation chapter 20, the last book of the Bible. Among his many names, he's called Satan, the serpent, the evil one, and the tempter, among others. Jesus countered him throughout his earthly ministry, and Jesus spoke often of him. There is much we do not know, but this much is certain. Satan is a real being. In the beginning, he was an angel created by God who became filled with pride, which caused him to attempt a coup to overthrow God. Now, God easily won that confrontation, and he cast Satan out of heaven. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 12 hinted that one-third of the angels followed Satan in the rebellion and were also booted from heaven. We call those fallen angels demons. Paul writes this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here Paul is telling us two things about our struggle, our spiritual battle. First he tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I want you to think for a moment of the flesh and blood people that you struggle with. Those people you don't want to be around, those who get under your, on your nerves and, and under your skin, those who push all your wrong buttons, those who don't like you and those you don't like. Now I said think about them, don't look at them, okay? Keep your eyes straight ahead up here. Hold that thought for a moment as I tell you this little story. A reporter went to a nursing home and he interviewed a man on his 100th birthday. And he asked him, what are you most proud of in, in your life? And the centenarian said, I don't have an enemy in the world. The reporter said, wow, what a, what a beautiful thought. And how inspirational that quote will be for my readers. He asked the old man, 
Well, tell me how you achieved such a feat not to have any enemies. The man said, to be honest, I outlived them all. Maybe you haven't outlived all those people you think are your enemies. And that's okay because we need to realize that people aren't our real enemies. Those people you were thinking about a moment ago, they aren't your real enemies. They're just flesh and blood, just like you, that Satan is using to distract and to discourage and defeat you in your Christian walk. My struggle and your struggle isn't with people, but it's with those beings listed here in the last part of verse 12. These rulers, authorities, powers of the spiritually dark world and the spiritual forces of evil, they are the enemy. Some refer to them as a, as a whole and say evil powers or demonic powers who take their orders from Satan. They're the real enemies in the battles that you and I face today. In thinking about this spiritual battle, keep two things in mind. Number one, it's Satan's goal to discourage and deceive and defeat us to such an extent that we give up and throw in the towel on this thing called Christianity. Number two, Satan doesn't fight fair. Say it with me. Satan doesn't fight fair. He never has. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And he never will until he's locked away for all eternity. He uses anything and everything that he can to bring us down. This is what a part of what Paul meant when he spoke about the schemes of the devil in Ephesians 6.11. The word schemes there might also be translated as traps of the devil or tricks of the devil or tactics of the devil. Peter said this about Satan's schemes. Peter said, be alert. Be on watch. Talking to us some 2,000 years later. Your enemy, who is it? The devil roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's schemes. A Texas politician from many, many years ago was asked why a certain candidate had lost an election. And he said, it happened because he forgot the first rule of knife fighting. Rule number one, there are no rules. Now, Satan isn't from Texas, at least I don't think he is. But he doesn't have any rules, and he doesn't fight fair. You need to get that deep in your heart right now. We're in a spiritual battle. But God has made provision to equip us for the fight. He has not left us defenseless. Every year, the United States Congress allots billions of dollars for defense spending to assure that our American soldiers are the best equipped soldiers in the world. The premise is this. A soldier is no better than his or her equipment. God is our leader. And in the spiritual battle, excuse me, that we're fighting, 
He has provided spiritual equipment for us. In Paul's day, Roman soldiers were stationed throughout the known world. And seeing those soldiers walking the streets of Ephesus would have been a very familiar sight to the Christians who were living in that city. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to use the equipment of a Roman soldier as an analogy of the Christian's spiritual equipment. Paul tells us that each of us are responsible for putting on the equipment God supplies. I can't put yours on for you, and you can't put mine on for me. But I do know this, my friends, that if we don't put on the equipment, we'll be as defenseless as that Marine we heard about. So the first piece of equipment is the belt of truth. Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your, what is it? Waist. The belt was used to hold the Roman soldier's clothing next to his body, to keep his uniform from flapping around and restricting him in battle. The belt was usually made of, of a very thick, wide leather, and it helped protect the soldier's abdomen, whether he had a six-pack like Tom up here or not. Or whoever. Anybody got a six-pack? I've got a, a barrel. Truth, enough said, Pastor David. Truth is vitally important in our battle with spiritual forces of evil. Jesus said this about the devil. In John 8, Jesus said this. This is from the mouth of Jesus himself. He said, the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's a pretty strong indictment, isn't it? But who better than Jesus to know what Satan is? We live in 2018 in a world of lies and deceit and this new thing called fake news, and all of it must thrill the father of lies. And that's why it's critically important that we protect ourselves with the truth of God's word, the Bible. This was Jesus' prayer to the Father concerning his followers, not only the ones in his day, but the ones today. He said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is pointing out to us that Scripture is the truth we need. When it comes to the spiritual fight, the Bible is the only source of absolute truth. You can't find the truth in the Book of Mormon. 
You can't find the truth in the Quran of the Muslims. You can't find the truth in the Veda of the Hindus. You can't find the truth in the New Age writings that are so popular today. We can only find the truth we need to fight our spiritual enemies in one book, the Bible. Now, our second piece of equipment is the breastplate of righteousness. Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate covered the vital organs of the chest, especially the heart. It was like an ancient bulletproof vest. And the breastplate of righteousness refers to the righteousness made available for us by Jesus at the cross. Paul says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, you and me, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This transaction that took place on the cross. We got his righteousness, he got our sin. And at your salvation, a spiritual breastplate was issued to you, as it's issued to each new Christian, no matter where they find themselves in the world. That spiritual breastplate is designed by God to protect our heart and our soul from evil and deception. Now, you say, well, what about our own goodness? What about our own righteousness? Uh, does that count for something? They are no match for Satan's attacks. No matter how good you think you are in this place today. Isaiah says, our righteousness has as much power as some dirty old rags lying around the garage. Here's what he writes. I'd like you to read it with me, please. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. But as we wear the breastplate of righteousness that was given to us by Jesus, we begin to develop a purity of heart. There's a change that takes place. And it translates into our actions. What's taking place on the outside manifests, manifests itself on the outside. We desire to put into practice what we've come to believe in our heart that we've learned from the Bible. And if you don't have any desires to put into practice what you learn from the Bible, there's something wrong. Our choices in life become more righteous. And these godly choices help protect us from further temptation and deception by Satan. We're not doing the things we used to do. We put on the breastplate of righteousness by seeking God and seeking God's righteousness above everything else that we could seek in life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Our third piece of equipment in the armor of God is the shoes of the gospel of peace. 
Paul says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Shoes were extremely important to the Roman soldiers in Paul's day, just as a good pair of boots are important to our soldiers today. Now, the shoes worn by the Roman soldiers were more like sandals. They had a, a thick leather upper that kind of ran up the leg from the top of the foot to below the knee to help protect the shin, and sometimes it wrapped around the back and would protect the calf. And protruding out of the bottom of the sandals were some nails or cleats. And when the Roman soldiers would go into battle, he would kind of literally dig in his heels and plant himself, stomp those cleats down into the ground to give him sure footing in the battle. And that's what the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. When somebody says the gospel, that's what it is. That's what the gospel does for us. It provides stability and sure footing in our spiritual battle. When Paul speaks here of the gospel of peace, he means the gospel message is the only true source of peace for us. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, you and I can now have peace with God. Paul says this in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have, what's the word? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may have yet to experience that peace because coming to church isn't going to give you that peace. He tells you right here, justified through faith. But when we know that we have peace with God Almighty, it gives us a sure foundation and footing in our lives, which makes it possible to stand firmly against Satan and his schemes to take us out. As far as I'm concerned, there's nothing that I have that's more precious to me than to know that I have peace with God. And if I give it up today on the way home, on that 255, die of a heart attack, I have peace with God. The very precious, precious thing that I have. And you that have peace with God, you know what I'm talking about today. So Christian, what I'm saying to you this morning is dig in your heels, plant your feet, and trust in the gospel, which has made it possible for you and your creator to be at peace with each other, not only now, but forever and ever throughout eternity. Our fourth piece of equipment is the shield of faith. Love that song. They, they went through the armor of God in that song. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Ben. Paul says, in addition to all this that I've told you about in the, in the armor of God, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman soldier's shield measured four feet by two feet. And it would protect the soldier's body when he would kind of kneel in a crouch behind it. 
to form a wall of protection with his other comrades from the incoming arrows from the enemy. A shield is vitally important to a soldier for protection. And it's meant to be taken up and not left in the amphibious tank in all circumstances. It's the first barrier against the enemy's attack. The enemy could be yards and yards away, but as the enemy arrows come in, it's the first shield of defense. The shield of faith describes our actions of calling on the Lord for His help in the time of trouble, and then putting our confidence and faith in Him to deliver us. The phrase flaming arrows suggests that a a sudden attack comes at us. These arrows may come from anywhere and at any time and in any situation. We've all experienced this sort of thing in our life. You know, we're walking along, we feel strong and confident in ourselves, and, you know, things going good in life, and then, bam! And we pastors get calls like this every week, where a bam takes place. Out of nowhere, something happens. And the flaming arrows of Satan are upon you. These arrows may be anger, bitterness, doubt, unforgiveness, death of a loved one, loss of a job, divorce of a spouse. It it goes on and on and on. Various other flaming arrows Satan has at his disposal. And he has many, many myriads of flaming arrows. So what do we do in that moment of attack, whether it's come this week or it's going to come next week? It will come, my friends, those of us who are walking the way with the Lord. We remember this verse, and as we remember it, we pray to God for help. The writer of Hebrews says, And my righteous one shall live by faith. But I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. And the implication is it turns away without faith. So when those arrows are upon us, we cry out, Lord, I can't handle these flaming arrows of the enemy by myself. I believe in you, God, O Father. And I have faith in you to help me. The shield of faith is a protective barrier between us and the schemes of Satan. We must stay behind the shield of faith as long as it takes to knock down the flaming arrows of the evil one, Satan. You may knock them down this week, but there's more coming next week or next month. We never know when Satan will shoot a flaming arrow at us. I never know. You never know. Bam! We must live by faith and use the shield of faith. It's there for us. Use it. Our fifth piece of equipment is the helmet of salvation. Paul said, take the helmet of 
salvation. When a Roman soldier prepared for battle, he got all of it on, and the helmet was the last piece of armor to go on. It was the final act of readiness in preparation for combat. The life expectancy of a soldier without a helmet was very short. And here Paul tells us that the helmet speaks of the assurance of salvation. The believer's assurance of salvation is our daily protection. And it's our deliverance from our past sinful nature and Satan's schemes in our life to take us out. The helmet refers to the mind and and thoughts controlled by God. Sadly, many Christians have the mistaken idea that that what we think about isn't important. We can just let anything go into our minds. We can watch anything on TV. We can go to any movie. Just let it come in. It doesn't make any difference. But in reality, what we think about plays a vital role in Christian growth and victory. Ought to get an amen. For you that know what I'm talking about. When our thoughts are on God, it's almost impossible for Satan to lead the believer astray through faulty thinking. When pleasing Jesus with our thought life is our main desire, we eliminate many of Satan's schemes and render his evil suggestions powerless to harm us. You've got suggestions that are coming in, those those arrows, but you're thinking about God. You've got the helmet of salvation on. And as you wear the helmet of salvation, our thought life becomes more insulated against the suggestions, temptations, and traps that Satan lays for us. And when that happens, this verse will be true. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul says, We pull down every proud obstacle that is raised against the knowledge of God. And this is the phrase I want you to really get. We take every thought, what's the word? And make it obey Christ. We capture those thoughts that Satan is trying to use against us to bring us down with the helmet of salvation. Finally, Sarge asked us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is our only offensive weapon in the armor of God. Paul writes, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It was necessary for a Roman soldier to get training on the proper use of the sword in order to get maximum protection from its use. Now, followers of Jesus also need training on how to properly handle the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Roman soldier's sword that Paul refers to here is a double edge. It has two sides about 18 inches long. It it wouldn't be what we consider a sword today. But that soldier could swing that sword with lightning speed. You you get it? Then it's not too fast, is it? 
They were younger than me. And they could cut in every direction with the double-edged sword. Now, the writer of Hebrews writes this. For the word of God is living and active, active, sharper than any, what kind of sword? Double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God, my friends, if I could leave you with anything, is the best weapon you can bring to do battle with Satan. The best weapon. And in reality, your only weapon. When Jesus was tempted three times in the wilderness by Satan himself, three times Jesus quoted from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to defeat the temptation. And I'm thinking, if Jesus had to use the Word of God, why do I think I can do without the Word of God? Nothing defeats Satan in our lives like the Bible. Recently, GQ magazine put the Bible on a list in an article titled 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. You can Google that, 21 Books You Don't Have to Read. Here's a line from that article. The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. Now, I take issue with the premise of the article, and it's created quite a firestorm of protest in some evangelical circles. But one thing they did get right in the article is when the writer said there were people who supposedly live by the Bible but they'd never read the Bible. Lifeway Research, the research arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, did a study and found that 60% of people who regularly attended church either never read the Bible or they only read the Bible one or two times a month. Six out of ten of you who regularly attend this church, if the excuse me, statistics are right, six out of ten of you never read the Bible, or if you do read it, you, you pick it up once or twice a month. And if that's you, and I'm not pointing anyone out and trying to not make you squirm in your seat, but I'm just going to warn you. If you're in that category, you have a very dull spiritual sword. And I don't like your odds when you go into battle with spiritual enemies. Saying that as lovingly as I can. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible, isn't going to do some magical hocus-pocus on your behalf just because you've got it on your, your iPhone or your tablet or it's on your shelf or your coffee table. Guess what? You and I have got to read it. And we've got to get the truths of that book inside our hearts and in our minds. Christ followers 
who arm themselves with it will never lack for a weapon in the battle. And you're in the battle. So you put it all together and you have a picture of the Christian who's fully armed for the spiritual battle against Satan. You got the belt of truth, you got the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that are the gospel of peace, shoes or sandals, you got the shield of faith, you got the helmet of salvation, and you have the sword of the Spirit. Two thousand years ago, the only hope for those Christians in their battle with the devil was to put on the whole armor of God. That's the only hope for us today in the 21st century. To put on the whole armor of God and prove that what the Bible says is really true in this verse. Paul says, so put on all the armor that God gives you. Don't leave anything out. Take advantage of what God's given you. Then when that evil day comes, you will be able to defend yourself. And when the battle is over, you will still be standing firm. That's God's intention for everyone who belongs to him around the world. That each of us will still be standing after the battle. No believer is safe who faces Satan in his or her own strength. No believer. Likewise, no believer is more secure than the one who goes into battle wearing the full armor of God. We have the privilege this morning of receiving Holy Communion. And I'm sure that through this talk, you were able to see that we have the armor of God because of what Jesus did for us. And as we prepare our hearts to take communion, maybe there's one piece of equipment that that you're just not availing yourself of. You're okay in the rest of them. You're You're doing what God wants you to do. But there's one piece. And you're struggling with that. And I'm saying, Christian, don't be left defenseless. Paul said, put it all on. Take it all on. God's made it available. He made it available because of what he did on the cross through the defeat of the devil himself. So as we come this morning, and as you wait for your turn, just prayerfully ask the Lord, Lord, where do I stand in this armor of God thing? Maybe for some of you, it, you may not have ever heard a message like this. Where do I stand, Lord? Where do I stand? Because I don't want to be defenseless. I don't want to be not standing when the battle is over. Lord God, I thank you today that because of what your son Jesus did for us on the cross, Paul said, we can have available to us today in the 21st century 
the same whole armor of God they had available in the first century. Lord, we're in a battle. We can deny it, ignore it, put our head in the sand like the ostrich, but the battle is raging. Some in this building, Lord, have had those fiery, flaming arrows of Satan aimed at them this week. They know of what I speak about today. Lord, the devil doesn't play fair. He never gives up. He's out to take us out, to destroy us. And thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to go out of this place cowering in fear because we have been equipped through the armor of God. Now, as we come to the communion table and receive of these elements, Lord, we're reminded once again that it's the precious blood of Jesus and, and the broken, beaten body of Jesus that made it available for us to live victorious now and forever. And so we thank you for it, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.